we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Experience gorgeous, lasting, high-quality hair color with Madison Reed. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit. Use code RADIO10. Natalie Bergeron, welcome to the podcast. How are you this morning? I'm very well, John. How are you? I'm 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 really really great. Um, I'd like to kind of go back to the beginning. Um, as as you know, uh, you know, I think I think next to the Cedrica Provencher case, the, the the case of your sister Marilyn uh, Bergeron is one of the most uh, I, notorious or. Um, I I don't think there's a person in Quebec who is not aware of it, although you may feel differently. But because this podcast primarily, um, I was just checking this morning, is to uh, an English audience, there's a lot of people who might not be aware um, that that Marilyn has has vanished for over a decade now. Could you could you take us back to the beginning and and kind of explain to our audience? Um, the what happened uh, with with Marilyn uh, in February of two thousand and eight? Yes, yeah, so my uh, sister at the time was twenty four years old, and um, on February seventeenth, two thousand eight, she vanished. Um, prior to her disappearance, in the few months before she went missing, us the family we had noticed that something went uh, really wrong. She seemed um, afraid, she was quiet, she was reserved. All of our friends and, and us family, we thought something was wrong. Um, and it was at the time she was living in Montreal, uh, in the Oshaga Maisonneuve. And shortly before she went missing, she asked my parents to move back with them, which is quite unusual. I mean, from Martin's character, I expected her to stay in Montreal and then probably go to Vancouver or move somewhere else because she was uh, very eager to live in big cities and discover the world. But unfortunately, I believe something dramatic happened to her in a few months feeling her disappearance. And she was almost in a panic state when she asked my parents to move back. And um, on the Friday before she went missing, she went back to Montreal to grab everything um, and move to Quebec City. And the very next day, she went for a walk. 
and we never saw her again. And she, um, if if I'm getting this this correct, she she goes to uh, an ATM in Lauretteville, which was somewhat near where your parents were living, and she's seen on a security camera at that ATM, correct? And then later she disappears from Saint uh, Ramol, which is on the other side of the Saint Lawrence River, correct? Yes, it's yeah. really far from uh, my parents' house. Um, so the bank where she was seen or caught on, on security camera is not even one kilometer or one mile away from my parents' house. It's really, really close. And that happened, I believe it was around 11, 9, 11, 15 in the morning of February 17. And she had told my mom that uh, she just arrived in Quebec City. She wanted to go for a walk, you know, to clear her mind. My mom was really worried and asked to go with her. And my sister at the time, again, was 24 years old. And she said, no, mom, I'm just going to go and, you know, for a few hours and I'll be right back. And she left. She stopped at that ATM. She tried to get money um, from a credit card, but somehow did not manage to get any money out. Either she forgot the net. Uh, because she had the funds in the account. But she didn't have anything else. She didn't have any ID. She didn't have her purse. That credit card was the only thing she had on her. Um, and then a few hours later, around uh, 4 p.m., um, she bought coffee with that credit card in saint As you said, it's really far. It's about 20 kilometers. It's not even something you could... In theory, you could walk there. It would take you about five hours, though, right? I mean, it would take a long time to walk there. Uh, yes, and yeah. it's not a very common walk path, I would say, and because it's at the corner of many freeways. You have to cross the bridge, um, and there's no reason for Marilyn to be at that location. Uh, that's something that always baffled us. Like, why did she go there? Uh, was she meeting someone? Um, did someone drop off at that location? And unfortunately, 10 years later, we still don't have any answers about that. Well, I mean, that's very, very unusual. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, your, your, your mother had obviously... You had all noticed the state she was in. Uh, the, uh, the ATM um, uh, surveillance camera shows her and she, she seems, uh, uh, you know, disturbed or... or Frightened. I think Claude Poirier on uh, Poirier Enquête mentioned that she looked like she was looking over her shoulder, potentially at a vehicle. And I and I think that the 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 person who uh, she bought coffee from at Cafe Depot also had mentioned her her um, her fragile state um, uh, that that she seemed panicked or um, depressed. I don't want to use the word depressed because I don't want people to you know, necessarily get the wrong impression, but what do you think was going on? I saw Marilyn um, over the holidays um, and then later at my grandfather's funeral in January. And I tried to find out what was going on because I certainly noticed that she wasn't herself and um, she wouldn't talk. She asked me um, if there was a light at the end of the tunnel, when I spoke right. to her in my last conversation. Was that unusual for her to not dis- talk to you about things? Absolutely. I and mean, we were, and at the time, very, very close. 
And that is a common theme among everybody that was close to her. Like Madeline wouldn't talk. She would cry. Um, she would be very secretive. Um, a friend, and, and we of course didn't realize that until later, but a friend um, had spoken to her in, in a few weeks before she went missing, and she was crying, and she said, whatever happens to me is worse than anything you can imagine. And, and unfortunately, um, we never managed to know what it was. She said it was worse than rape and murder, which is really difficult to, um, to comprehend because... What could be what, worse than that? Exactly. Right, right. And, and, and so that's, and that's something that we all feel um, that she was, you know, she was working still in Montreal. Um, she was obviously still going to um, seeing her friends. So some portion of her was, uh, I would say, functional. But something happened to her in her life prior to her disappearance that I believe led to her disappearance. Because, um, you know, when you, you mentioned the press, like some people uh, could think like, oh, well, maybe she committed suicide. And, and that is, of course, uh, one of the theory. But I don't think you go for coffee before you commit suicide at an intersection point of two major freeways. Um, so to me, that has never been my top um, theory for Megan's going missing. Well, it's just bizarre, too. It's like, if she committed suicide, then where did she go? I mean, she didn't go to the elephant's graveyard. But presumably, <laughs> after 10 years, you would find the body. Um, it, it, I, why the, uh, the, the police force of Quebec City latched on to that, that theory so early on is, a, is bizarre to me, but we, we'll get to that. Can, can, Let's let's back up for a second. Prior to all this, can you can you tell us? Um, because uh, ironically, I've been doing this podcast for over uh, over a year now, and and uh, with the exception of Stefan Luce, you are the only victim I think I've interviewed, um, and um, or survivors. Some people say, but so we have a lot in common. Um, but I would like to know. So what was Marilyn like? I mean, what did she like? What did she not like? What was she like prior to all, all of this? And Marilyn is, uh, and I say is. Is, I, I apologize, is. <laughs> no, 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 I, I mean, yeah, that, yeah. that's understandable. And I sometimes, I use the past as well, past tense as well. But for me, I, I, of course, I'm, I'm lucky to still have a chance to think that she's alive. Um, and, and at the time of her disappearance, of course, she had changed tremendously. And as I said, she seemed afraid. She seemed concerned. But in her personal uh, life, and she's, she's someone who's, who travels, loves to travel, and loves music. Um, she's always been involved in, in bands and playing guitar. Um, and when she, she was working she, in Montreal, she had finished... Um, basically a, a college degree in, in art, uh, art and media technology, and she was working in television production. And while she was doing that, because it was a contact, contractual work, she was also working at Steve's Music because she just loves music. Which Was she working at the Steve's on St. Antoine? Yes, she was. Oh, well, that is, I mean, for me as a kid, like, uh, I, I played drums. So, you, you know, I would 
I, I, I hung out there so much. I mean, so I, I kind of have a, an image of who she was because I, you know, I know the people in Steve's really well. Yeah, well, she, she loved working there um, because obviously she was meeting musicians, people that share the same passion. And so she was really inclined to, uh, to spend, I mean, she would go to concerts. That was one of our favorite activities. Um, we had planned to do the concerts together when I was in Montreal. Uh, we would hang out and, and we um, tried to see some, some, some show together. Um, and she also had a goal long term to potentially move to Vancouver. She had traveled to Europe and uh, she came to see me often in California and we would spend time together. And Madeline is also um, someone who loves meeting people. Um, she's very trustworthy, which is something that concerned me from the beginning because um, she she's smiling, she talks, if someone engaged with her, she will talk, she'll be interested by their story, um, and she's full of life. And I think uh, that person, shortly before she went missing, um, was almost gone already. My, you, and, know, you know, my sister was the same way, right? She would, uh, she would see the good in anyone and she would talk to anyone, and I often thought that could get her in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think one of... Uh, uh, the gift I gave Marilyn once is, you know, because she was obviously going to concert, working late, I gave her taxi tickets. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want her to walk at 2 a.m. in the morning. Um, because she was she was also not afraid of many things. And uh, and to me, I always had you know, concern for her security and being the big sister, I guess, wanting to make sure she was safe. And, uh, and, and it's something that... Um, you know, for her to, when she was really excited to go to Montreal because uh, this was the beginning of her career and she was also, um, as I said, made using Montreal as a, as, as a city then to go somewhere else. And, and to, for her to say to my parents, I need to move back. And, and, and a week before she went missing, um, she called my mom in a panic. And she took the first bus from Montreal to Quebec City and never went back to Montreal until the week later when she moved. All these series of events are just um, very puzzling. I mean, it's, we don't understand them. And, and I say we, I mean my parents and I, and then the close friend. Um, and, and through these last 10 years, we've, we've tried to all get together and, and try to assemble a, a reason for you know, what happened, and I still believe today that some people have not talked and have not said what truly happened to her, especially in the weeks before disappearance. Um, and, but as I said, we also have the hope that she's alive, and I trust her intelligence. Um, I know that she's very smart and that uh, she can all, hopefully manage um, to survive very difficult situations because she's really smart. Well, I mean, it is unusual. I mean, she's living in, as you say, Hachalaga, Maisonneuve, you know, in one of the greatest cities in the world, um, you know, obviously socially engaged, in, in, engaged with everything in her environment. And and f- you're right, for, for her to just up and leave and come back home 
at the age of 24. I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think you're also right that there are some p- people who are not saying things uh, probably out of fear um, more than anything. Um, you you both grew up in Chicoutimi, is that right? Um, for a time. I grew up in Quebec City. Marilyn was young when we moved to Chicoutimi. I was 13. And we have about five-year difference, so she was eight. So most of her teenage years, uh, she was in, in Chicoutimi. Then my parents moved back to Quebec City um, when she was 14. And, and and I was at that time uh, going to Montreal. Um, so she stayed in Quebec City with my parents. Then she went back to um, the Chicoutimi-Jonquin area to uh, in college to, to study. Um, and she arrived in Montreal, I believe it was 2005, um, to uh, start working. And, uh, and then I was, uh, at that time, already living in the United States. Um, but I was traveling a lot for work, so I was fortunate to spend a lot of time in Montreal. We would always, you know, meet when I was there and uh, and go for dinner and and spend time together. Right. And we did, um, a few months prior to her disappearance. I ended up spending spending a week in Montreal in October, and and she was the whole week pretty much with me as soon as I was finishing work, and and already in October. Uh, I could. I felt that something was not working as usual. As as early as October, you felt that. I felt that as early as October, yes. Um, and but I I tried to say you know you know you can always tell me anything is everything okay. And I remember she said um, that she felt a little bit trapped. And uh, and I tried to get her to tell me like oh, is this in a relationship or you know, what's going on. And and she wouldn't really want to say much. And that was the thing with Marilyn. And she she was really open. She would talk to anyone. But when she decided she didn't want to say something, it was really hard to get it um, out of her. But not to the point where um, you know, the few months before she went missing, where she was silent and she wasn't smiling anymore. And and we tried to. Um, to get her help, even the week when she went back to Quebec City, my, my mom uh, took her to a therapist because she said, whatever secret you have is too heavy for you. Um, and I said, if you don't want to share it with me, you have to talk to someone. Um, and she went. She went to see a therapist. Um, and that was, I, I think it was on Valentine's Day, just a few days before she went missing. Has, has, has the therapist been questioned? I mean, I know there's an element of confidentiality there, but but surely after 10 years, if if she had said anything, you know, come on, let's let's have it. Yeah. At, at first, what, what you said, I mean, this is something that's great about Canada is the law for confidentiality and protection is, is really strong and it helps in a lot of cases, but it doesn't help in a case of a missing person. Yes. Um, and, and we hit so many um, closed door early on. Um, this this particular lady, I mean, she was she was great. She she did understand that we were struggling, we were in a crisis, and we were trying to get to the bottom of something. And we said to her, "If you cannot tell us, tell the police, say something." Um, and she said that it was um, she was obviously distressed. Marilyn was obviously distressed, and. Uh, 
and that, um, but she didn't get a lot of information from her that can be useful to explain her disappearance. That's what she said to us. Okay. Um, I, I have to ask, because I've not read it anywhere, um, but just quite frankly, did, I mean, was Marilyn in a relationship at all? Did she, um, was she seeing anyone at the time? Um, no, she had had, a, I mean, she had broken up with a boyfriend um, a few months before. Um, she went missing and she had uh, some good friends, but not a, a boyfriend per se. Uh, at the time uh, when she went missing. I know there was someone that was in her life, um, but don't I don't think that person was, uh, at least at the time, uh, a boyfriend. Um, and and so that's that's something also that, you know, has been, has been of course, um, a source of, a, of question for me, at least, because um, I don't feel that I... I have received a lot of information, uh, neither from the boyfriend or the people that were around her in Montreal at that time. And and I knew a lot of her friends, but obviously I didn't know everybody. And uh, and I and there's a certain group of people that uh, I feel hasn't been very straightforward in providing a lot of information after she went missing, at least. Now she, I, I read somewhere that she spoke several languages. I mean, she's fluent in English and 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 French, obviously, but a, um, a little Spanish, a little Russian. Did she travel to South America or to to uh, Russia? No, it was it was one of her goals. Um, again, okay. she's really interested by the world. Um, she had not traveled uh, to to these particular locations, but Malin was also um, she she loved reading. And she was very talented with learning languages. And so she picked a little bit of Russian and, and Spanish. Spanish, she did some classes, I think. Um, and and she she was a natural at learning languages. And, uh, and early on, because of a love for music, I think translated in an interest to uh, learn what people were saying. Um, so she picked up English, even if we were living in Chicoutini, <laughs> which is not... <laughs> yeah. <the> most, uh, <laughs> There's not a lot of English around in Shkutmi. Um She still was uh, very good with the language uh, when she was quite young. Well, even uh, Quebec City, too. I mean, apart from the tourists, Quebec City is, mm -hmm. shall we say, very, very French. We should also say that Quebec City has a very low crime rate. I mean, it's not like Montreal. Yes, I mean, it's, a, it's what people would consider a very safe city. Yeah. Crimes occur anywhere, of course, but... Um, you, you go to Quebec City, it, it's it's pretty safe to walk late at night, and, and to, not not much happens. Um, right in, in the city, it's very safe. So, can we jump now to uh, after the disappearance and your family's uh, engagement with the uh, Quebec City Police? And the the, I, I guess the the initial investigation, and I, I'll I'll just say it because I know it's true. Your family's frustrations with the Quebec City Police. It's it's been a, quite a challenge to suddenly um, be looking for a missing person because I don't think anybody is prepared. Um, first, the emotions run high because you are in a state of panic looking for your missing loved one, and all of a sudden you have to deal with 
the police and then trying to uh, in the media everything is is happening at the same time um and our initial uh experience with the police was frustrating um because, because we have to go back 10 years ago where uh, a missing adult was not i i would say considered as important as a as of course as a missing kid um but i think it was to the point where it, it's no, we felt it was urgent to find money. Well, let, let's let's stop there for a minute because I I think you're doing yourself a disservice. This this was 2008. Anyone missing, particularly with the history in Quebec, uh, the the police should have had the, should have been more sensitive to these things. And I'm not I'm not trying to pick a fight or anything like that. But I'm just talking about facts. There, there, there has been a history of violence and and people going missing in Quebec that goes back as long as I, you know, from my personal experience. I mean, certainly my sister was missing for five and a half months, and and they did a similar thing, right? She must have been depressed. She must have been suicidal. She ran away. So, um, I I think in two thousand and eight, more should have been done. I agree. I think it's also, um, you know, people around the missing person, they come with a message. They say, my loved one is missing and she's in danger and we fear for our safety and she must be found immediately because, of course, we, we want it. But also, I think we're in a good place to say this is not a normal situation. Marion should not go missing. Um she would contact her family. Something was bothering her. She seemed so afraid and she was crying. She needs help. And, you know, we felt that this wasn't understood from the, the get-go. And especially if you look at a theory of, oh, of, what is it, like, a, like someone's running away or someone decides to leave. Um, this is, and it's an adult, of course, they're not as vulnerable as a child. Because they, they can live, but my sister had nothing with her. She only had a credit card that wouldn't, you know, that wouldn't bring her money out because she couldn't get money out of the ATM. Um, it was winter. She had just moved back to my parents' house less than 24 hours before she vanished. So the circumstances were extremely um, suspect, and, and it was a critical situation for us. Um, right when it happened. Right when it happened, my mom knew something was wrong, and and she called the police, and she was really really anxious, and and was hoping that we could find Marilyn right away. And as the days went by, and then the weeks, and it turned into months, and not years and decades, for us, we never lost the sense of urgency that we felt at the beginning. And 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 unfortunately, you know, we didn't necessarily that it was understood at first. And one thing that's critical with the missing person is a few first days, first hours, actually. And that's going to set the tone for the entire investigation. And, and that is the best chance you have to find people. And, and I don't think the urgency was understood at the beginning. 
Well, the the Quebec police force, the municipal force, who is in it's their jurisdiction, it is my understanding for the case, initially and I think to this day, are still operating on a theory of um, suicide. Correct? It now they've changed the they've changed what they said. Okay. Um, they they did say at first that it was most likely a suicide, um, but again, for us we were okay. Where's the body? Um, because we, we need to know that she, if she's deceased, um, we need to find her body. And, and there has been no searches around the area where she went missing, um, and nobody had and no, but this... found a body in, either in the water or in the woods, and that would match my sister. Um, so I think now, they, for the past few years, they've said that every theory can be considered, um, and so we're at that point. But early on, it, it was considered an adult runaway, and it was considered most likely a suicide. And, and I don't think um, all the efforts were done to try to locate her at that time. Uh, and we've lost precious time. We lost um, a window that can never be opened again. And this, and this places the burden of responsibility back on the individual, correct? It, it means that the police force, when you say somebody is a runaway or, or suicidal, the, the, the police can throw their hands in the air and say, well, you know, it's, that's not our problem. Um, and, and the other thing is, I, I think you correctly say that municipal police forces, particularly in Quebec City, where there's very few, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Natalie, but I'll say there's very few murders, Mm-hmm. Not not that your sister is a murder victim. We don't know that. But but they're not experienced in this kind of thing, which I think is why you've insisted that it, it, at the very least to turn the case over to the Sarté de Québec, uh, the provincial force, which has more experience with these type of cases. And there's that, and not only, but also Madeline was a Montreal girl. She lived in Montreal for three and a half years. Whatever happened to her is related to where she was living. And it wasn't Quebec City. She had just arrived in Quebec City, not even 24 hours. And the only reason um, why the police of Quebec uh, inherited the case was because my because my parents went to the police station to report that she went missing. So whenever there's a report made, the, the police is responsible you know, for, from that location. Right, which can lead. I mean, you're you're bringing up the classic case of jurisdictional confusion. I mean, the the fact that the victimology of Maryland lies in 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 Montreal, as you say, not in not in Quebec City, where she had only been back for twenty four hours. Yeah, whatever happened, the worst that ever happened to her, which she described to a friend, did not happen in Quebec City, and I think it happened in Montreal, and uh, we. We've been trying to um, to push for for this file to be moved um, to the SPU or the Sorte uh, for many years because there there's different factors and first it's been ten years so it is not considered a cold case because it's not a murder um, but it certainly has been a long time and and also uh, Marie was in Quebec City from Montreal the day before, but then disappeared from Saint-Romuald, which is outside Quebec City. And, and there's so many locations involved. Um, and also, the, the reality is after 10 years, we're still at the beginning. 
we still haven't left that cafe. Um, we don't know what happened to, to her. And we, we're still looking like we were on day one. So we feel that you know, it would be nice to get more eyes on the file, maybe, to try to help solve this case and hopefully find answers. You, you know, you're, you're bringing things up and I'm just recalling uh, right now my, myself why these things are so confusing. And, and with the case of Teresa, the, very similar, you know, there's some similarities here. You, you know, she was at school in Lennoxville, but her residence was 10 miles south in Compton. But she was a Montreal girl. She had only been in the eastern townships for eight months so uh, a lot of time, um, you know, in this case, it's kind of the opposite of, of Maryland's. A lot of time on, on her investigation was wasted um, pursuing channels in Montreal when, in fact, her body was, you know, a mile away from her residence. But it did lead, I mean, you're quite right, to a lot of, a lot of confusion. I know, um, have, have the authorities pursued Angle's in in Montreal, I know you personally have. I know you, you you know you know some Montreal police who assist you, but that's not the same as an official investigation. Are are have they taken this serious and followed leads in Montreal? Um, I think they did, and in some cases they have traveled to Montreal. I know that, um, but it is a, a travel often, you know. And and I think it's getting better now, but. You know, every time there was a clue in a different location, it could be Montreal or somewhere else, um, at least early on, the procedure was to send investigators from Quebec City to that location, um, which didn't seem super efficient to me because, <laughs> you know, you have local police in an area, maybe they can help, and it saves a trip, and it saves time. And, and I think this particular aspect has changed and has gotten better over the years. But the police of Montreal was never in charge of the investigation for Ireland. And I was just lucky, um, and my parents, my parents met this uh, policeman in the area where my sister lived, uh, and I, I was just lucky to have him through the years, because I think he, he was just very helpful and, and probably listening, yes. <laughs> and also uh, giving his advice. and. And my family, we're fighters. I mean, we are not going to give up on Marilyn. And we never realized that there would be so much work involved in trying to find a, a missing person. Granted, some families just can't do that work because it's so draining and on, you know, on time, findings, emotional. But for us, um, we have the energy. So we have been doing probably a lot more than, I would say, a lot of the families, because um, we just didn't take no for an answer in many cases. And and if there's a door that was shut, um, we would try to find a window yeah. <laughs> to get there and and try to get closer to a solution for Marilyn. And of course, that has gotten us in trouble many times. Um, but at the same time, if it can help us or help another family. It was worth it to do this, and we will continue to do it. Can, can I ask how it has gotten you into trouble? I'd be interested in, in hearing your, your your thoughts on that. Um, but there's a lot of things we have done that didn't necessarily go into the media, and uh, for various reasons. Um, but I mean, there are some cases where we went to the government, we spoke to you know um, 
minister and we basically complained about the situation or we went on site to do some search when there was a clue, you know, we would be there before the police um, because we felt it was urgent um, that if, if there was a sighting that seemed credible, um, my parents would hop in their car and if I could, I would go as well. Um, so th there was definitely some frictions because we, we are uh, involved and we pushed for a lot of questions. And it was to a point, John, that um, back in 2010, I stopped talking with the police of Quebec. I used to be in the meetings and then I stopped. Um, I felt someone had to take a, a stand for the family saying, no, this is not acceptable. And I did. Because my parents... Um, are vulnerable. Um, they don't want to bid the head that feeds them. And all their hope is in trying to find Marilyn. Um, and so, so no matter what the situation is, they will always try to maintain the best relationship they can with whoever is in charge of the investigation, um, because that's also their hope of finding their daughter. Um, while I, I'm being the sister, uh, I can look at the situation and say, this is not acceptable, um, and, and just my foot down. But it has been tense sometimes, uh, of course. And, uh, and, uh, and, and I can't go into much detail. I'm sorry, this is a bit vague. No, no, it's, it, I, I, think I, I think I know what you're saying. I mean, there's a similar situation with me, and we should mm -hmm. maybe talk about this. I mean, obviously, I mean, I have an older brother, Andre, who lives in Montreal, who is, you know, he is not as vocal about these things as I am. Of course, he lives there. He has to live with, you know, I feel somewhat protected living in the United States, which I I guess I'd, I'd, I know it's another thing we have in common. Can you tell me what it's like um, conducting these investigations while you're living, um, uh, you know, on the other side of the country? I, I think it's hard sometimes because I am remote, but in other ways, I think it also helped a lot because um, one of the first thing I did is to uh, go to the FBI in 2009 because um, and, and, I was worried about human trafficking for Marilyn and I, and I know that human trafficking doesn't have boundaries. And, and to me, it was important to try to get her into... Um, as many law enforcement systems as I could. And, and so that meeting with the FBI was important because she was added to the FBI database. And from that point, I was able to add her into the NAMUS system, which is the missing person system in the United States. And I think she might be the only Canadian who went missing in Canada that's listed in the U.S. system. Um, but I also came from the opportunity of being here and having the chance to go to um, a missing event and meeting people and, and just trying to really push um, that if she is found in the United States, uh, that we, we could locate her. Um, but I'm also, you know, I've been from the beginning saying like if we cannot find her with the human sources, we have to use technology, we have to use the databases, we have to use DNA if that's if she's deceased. And and I feel that the United States have a lot of expertise in that regard. And I was able to gain knowledge that maybe I would have not 
I would have not been exposed to that if I was in Quebec City um, necessarily. Right. So that I feel that it's been a big advantage. In other ways, it's it's really hard because I know my parents are left alone in that location, um, dealing with the day to day. But I try to help as much as I can. Ken, since you brought up human trafficking, let's talk briefly about. Well, you can talk as long as you want. I know. I know you have to go soon. But there have been sightings of Marilyn, correct? Particularly around the Ottawa um, region. Did your family travel there? We did many times. Um, yep. it, it started in 2010. The region was Oxbury in Ontario. It's a small town, right on the you know one side of the river is Quebec, the other side is Ontario. Um, and we traveled there because at least 30 people said that they had seen her. And one man in particular, a very credible witness, um, said that uh, a woman um, knocked on his door and he let her in in the middle of the night. And she looked like my sister. And she was in she was distressed. And she was uh, you know, she was not looking uh, like she was in a in good place. Um, so because of that information, we went there. And it and this was a fight to get the police to go there as well to investigate. But the conclusion was that we, we didn't find her, and there was no absolute proof that it was her. Um, but that woman, if she, if she is married and that woman is in trouble, and if she's not married, she's she was still uh, someone in distress at that time. Uh, and, and that uh, area of Ontario um, is also known for some human trafficking. I think human trafficking is everywhere. Now people are have more awareness that it happens, and it's not only somewhere else in the world. It happens in our countries. It's happened with people that, um, the girls that go to some job interviews, and it turns out to be human trafficking. Uh, I have received a lot of um, testimonies from parents and friends and sisters and brothers called and said, told me the story and said, you know, the story of your sister really looks similar to what happened to my daughter. And let me do what it was. And this is not something you read in the newspaper necessarily. Um, but it, it exists and it affects a lot of people's life. It affects young girls that are runaway, but it also affects uh, young women. Um, and maybe maybe my sister. Well, you're right. You don't read about it, human trafficking in the in the paper, because I think it it's too horrible. If Marilyn is was describing a situation that is worse than rape and murder, I I can you know I think I initially said I can't think of anything, but now we have just thought of something that is worse than that, and I people don't want to talk about it and they don't want to confront it. It's, it's a hard topic, and, and, it's, and you also, unfortunately, you're in that situation, too, because when you have a sister that goes missing or that is murder, you, you become knowledgeable in areas where you don't want to be knowledgeable. Correct. And, and, but it gives, you, um, it, it gives you expertise in a way. We're not, I'm not an expert, but I... I did read so much about it, and I met so many people that talked about it that I know it exists. And I cannot go back and pretend that uh, I never knew this information because now it's part of my life. And, and I know that 
if you have a daughter, if you have a, it is it is a danger. It's out there, and it starts really early, and it affects safe country like Canada, uh, and affects other countries like United States. And for me, that's always been one of the theory that I consider uh, maybe more than the others for Marion. Um, I because it it fits the the basically cutting the family cutting the resources, uh, so it, it, it could have happened to her. I'm not saying it did, but it is something that I always consider, and that's part of the reason why I went to the FBI as well. You're, well, you, you're right. It's, it, you become a subject matter expert, uh, whether you want to or not, in these things. Uh, you know, cer- certainly me, I've, I've, I've become well-versed in all kinds of information that really had had my the course of my life been differently, I never would have touched. But then, and then, and then, of course, you know, you have a daughter. I have three daughters. Um, it, it's hard not to. Um, <clears throat> it's not that you're interested in these things. It's that you want to be aware of these things. Can I? Can I? Um, I, I want to ask you, and I'll preface this by saying. Um, Talk about uh, Cedrica Provencher. So she disappears 2007, um, and all of these things are are thought of. All of these theories. 2017, I believe, her body is found uh, within a mile or a couple of miles of where she disappeared. When Cedrica's remains were found, what what did you think? Very um, big sadness because we. We know the family now. We're part of an unfortunate club of missing persons and sometimes murdered people. And um, it's, of course, every time I hear remains found, I think of my sister. I mean, that's a, a connection that happens almost immediately. Um, but then as the details emerge, it's a child or it's a man. Um, then I know that I'm lucky it's not my sister, but it is someone else. Loved one. Uh, in the case of Sedeka, I'm, I'm, I'm relieved that they have an answer, but I certainly wish that this situation would ever happen. I, I think it's really extremely difficult already to lose a child, but to those circumstances, it's, it's hard to ever come back from this. I, I have a lot of admiration for the family. Um, and I think they've been really strong through the years. Um, so this is something that nobody wish on anyone. Right. Um, you know, I was thinking, I, I shared this with you, I think, uh, recently. I recall in 1977, there were, there were two cases of disappeared women. Uh, one was Constance de Carey. From Montreal, the other was um, Francine Savard. Um, both bodies found in the Quebec City area. W- one in in 1977, uh, Francine and Saint uh, Ramold, uh, where Marilyn disappeared, and the authorities quickly jumped to a theory of of depression and and suicide. Um, quite quite I- ironic that you know in. The, in the era that I'm interested in, 1977, something so similar potentially happened. I, I wondered if you had any thoughts on that. 
I mean, I wish that that was not the first thing we would hear when someone goes missing or someone is murdered. Um, because, I mean, in the case of, of your sister, just the way um, our body was found, it's, I mean, I, I don't even, I don't even understand how this can be uh, considered either a suicide or an overdose or anything else than murder. Um, but I mean, of course, I'm not an expert, but I just, I, I just get frustrated to hear that the first thing is runaway, depression, suicide. Um, why isn't the first thing murder? And then we rule it out and we go back to depression or suicide if needed. Um, I, I just... Right, because that has the greater sense of urgency. It does. I, I mean, to me, when a missing person or a... a it's so critical to find them, and we don't have that much time, especially for a child, but also even for an adult. Um, why not go to the worst-case scenario, put all the resources that we need to try to find a person immediately because that window is very, very short, and then you know we can look at other options. I think if that was the plan, if that was when missing people uh, cases were approached, um, I think there will be more success in finding them. Um, but because 90% of, of missing people are found, uh, and we, we are in the unfortunate 10% category, uh, I don't think the resources are being allocated um, to that type of search. But I, I do feel that it would help. And I don't think long-term, if you look at a family that's been looking for 10 years, I, I certainly know how the drainage on the financial side for my family. Uh, and I can't imagine that this is also efficient on the uh, you know, security public side um, to deal with a long-term investigation like this, or even like your sister for 40 years. So if we were better at the beginning, I think we would see more success in finding people uh, and solving these whole cases. That that is a great point. I didn't even think about the the time and energy that I have wasted in the last forty years on on this. Uh, yeah, yeah, the 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 cost to society on the back end has been extensive. You're you're right. Can, can, it's not just one family member. It's it's yeah. family. It's friends. It's employer. It's a lot of people. Yeah. For one missing case or one murder. If if I ask, I know that over time your your thoughts and feelings of these things evolve. But if I were to ask you today, now, what you think happened to Marilyn, what would your answer be? After ten years, um, statistically, um, Marilyn has been murdered, probably um, because because just of the fact that she hasn't been found. And uh, and then after all that time, that's often what happens. Um, but as I said, that there are exceptions. There are cases where um, women or, or men are found after 10, 20 years um, and are alive. So my theory for, for Marilyn is that um, either she... Something really, I, I know for a fact something really bad happened to her because she would not go missing. This is not a normal situation for her to go missing and not any news to the family. So 
was the dramatic event did that lead to a, a mental breakdown and she ended up on the street homeless that's a possibility um was she the victim of human trafficking um, and forced into prostitution and, and in a different area of the country that's that's something that i think may have happened to her um i just know that 10 years later she still needs to be found and if it's a body um of course it would be awful the most awful news but we would have an answer and right now we're in limbo we, we don't know uh and and we may never know but we have to at least try to find the answer one final thing and i'll let you go um there's an event today for maryland in quebec city yes a walk can you talk to me about that yes yeah, so we To mark the 10-year anniversary, uh, I was in Montreal in February on the day of her disappearance, the anniversary, which is not an anniversary because obviously it's a sad date. Um, we, we decided that uh, we wanted to do a walk for her, um, basically going into her steps and, uh, and going to that Cafe Depot location in San Juan with close friends and family and anyone who's been touched by Madden's story. Um, so my... I, Could not be there unfortunately but my parents are there um with hundreds of people i believe so we have uh, many people coming despite the rain and and it's going to be uh, an homage to marilyn uh it's going to be a way to say that we still care about her that we love her that we want an answer and and that um there are some people that have been by her side through these years some organization like the children's network Uh, and uh, a fan who have been uh, present in our journey to try to locate her that are going to be there. And then the, the Lord, uh, Mark Dalmar, who's been helping my parents in the past year, is also um, going to be there and address the people and, and try to push for Madeline's case to, to remain relevant and, and remain important even after all this time. Well, uh, Natalie Bergeron, it has been my great, um, it's been great to talk to you. Thank, Thank you, you for joining me. I appreciate the opportunity and, uh, and I'm very sorry for um, Teresa, for your sister, but I really appreciate the work that you're doing um, and, and as a brother and, and I'm a sister, so I think if we understand each other and, and that's sense of what's happening, but I, I really want to say thank you for, for sharing this information to the world and trying to make it easier for other families. You're welcome. Have yourselves a, uh, yourself a great uh, afternoon and enjoy your family. Thank you, John. Okay, bye-bye.
gym sessions, and sweaty summer activities are back, which means more funky smells in your clothes because sweat leaves behind bacteria that causes those hard-to-remove odors. Clorox Fabric Sanitizer products are ready to zap the stink out of fabrics in your home by getting rid of 99.9% of odor-causing bacteria. Eliminate odors in every load or sanitize fabrics between washes with one of our Fabric Sanitizer products. Search Fabric Sanitizer at Clorox.com to learn more. When it counts, trust Clorox. Use as directed. True crime on A&E with groundbreaking original shows like The First 48, Cold Case Files, Accused, Guilty or Innocent, and American Justice. No one brings you closer. Groundbreaking true crime every Thursday and Friday on A&E.